Hello, my friend. Welcome to the Dear Matchmaker podcast. I am your host with the most hair flip, uh, <laughs> dating coach and matchmaker, Kat Cantrell. Welcome to the program, my friend. So I'm going to ask you a question. Have you heard of the movie on Netflix called Tinder Swin- Swindler? I think I'm saying that correct. So I belong to the Matchmaking Alliance, and we have had a couple conversations about in the group about Tinder Swindler because it's a real thing. We've, we're having a lot more awareness now of people who have been scammed through online dating. And I even had a question on here on Dear, Dear Matchmaker of a woman who was asking, you know, what do I do? Why is it that every man that I talk to, just all they want is money from me? And this is becoming a real problem. And this is one of the many reasons why I got into matchmaking was because I get the honor of actually hand selecting and doing back, you know, I do the background checks, I do the vetting. I'm, to me, it's eliminating that possibility of being swindled, of being scammed. And my guest today has had this very thing happen to her. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have her on here is because I believe that there's more people who have been scammed with online dating that's that come forward. I know that I've had a couple conversations in my DMs with a couple of you who this has happened to uh, through online dating. And to me, it this is a, a possibility. This to having this type of platform, being able to create more awareness, to let victims know that they're not alone, and to let you know that this is a real thing, and it happens to the best of the best of us. And Debbie is no exception. Debbie, uh, Debbie, and I connected through Facebook. Actually, we belong to this group about I think it's called Podcasters Need a Guest because you know I'm always on the search for you. I'm always like on search. I want to find like some great uh, guests to bring to your ears. And Debbie had reached out to me and said, I have a very unique story. And I was scammed uh, out of a million dollars through an online romance. And of course, I want to know more of her story. Of course, I want to know how what can we learn from her story that you can benefit from as you're navigating the dating world, as you're putting yourself out there, as you're having these conversations? Because let's be honest, we like to believe the best of the best of the best of everyone, unless you're a skeptic, because there's those people too. I know that there's some of you out there. But for me, I, I trust really easily. I'm really, I'm, I'm an open book. I can open up, you know, I'm very vulnerable with people. It's not a problem. In fact, that's what a lot of you tell me about my Instagram. They're like, oh, we love that you're so vulnerable. I think that's a compliment. Um, <laughs> so when Debbie reached out to me and she was like, I have this incredible story. She has this book. And I said, absolutely. 100%. I want to have you on here because I want you all to be aware and just having more knowledge is power. And I think that comes from an old eighties, like commercial knowledge is power. Or what is that from? Are any of my Gen Xers out there? You know what that's from anyway. So I am excited to bring Debbie to you, uh, and I'm going to read her little bio. She's just—I'm—it's such an honor to have her as a part of, of Dear Matchmaker, and I cannot wait to share this interview with you. So let me just go ahead. I'm going to give you a little bit of information about Debbie. So Debbie Montgomery Johnson, she's a victim advocate, founder of the Woman Behind the Smile Inc., a 
501c3 nonprofit. So Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the woman behind the smile, is a number one bestseller author, international speaker, entrepreneur, and a podcast host, is a woman on a mission. In her book, The Woman Behind the Smile, she shares her personal experience with a love that turned into betrayal and financial disaster as she removes the mask of shame and shows others how to do the same. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Oh my gosh, this is so true. From Vermont and a graduate of the Phillips Exeter Academy, I believe I'm saying that right, and the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, Debbie is the president of BenofoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that provides an alternative remedy for the pain of neuropathy. Debbie's background is diverse from working as a paralegal and a senior bank branch manager to being a U.S. Air Force intelligence officer serving at the Pentagon, the Defense Intelligence Agency, and in Germany. So Debbie has appeared on the Dr. Oz show, CBS This Morning, the Mel Robbins show, the Tamron Hall show, WPEC CBS channel 12, channel 12, and WPTV NBC channel 5, in addition to being featured in the Palm Beach Post. She is regularly called upon about, by reporters for expert commentary about relationship fraud. Oh, I cannot wait for you guys to hear Debbie's story and to hopefully learn something about as you're navigating this crazy world of dating. So ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Debbie to Dear Matchmaker. Debbie, I am so thrilled and honored to have you here as a part of the show. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to be here, Kat. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, you are so welcome. And for those that are listening, by the way, Debbie looks phenomenal. She's wearing like this red shirt with these beautiful little white hearts. And yeah, I, I, I think I need to own that shirt. <laughs> I feel like that's something that I should have in my closet. So, well, I, Debbie and I connected actually on Facebook and, uh, we belong to this group, uh, this like podcast group where we share each other's like podcasts and we're looking for guests and we had crossed paths on there and, her story is one that needs to be, I, when her and I started talking and she told me more about her story and about her background, to me, this is something that everyone needs to know more about and how you can empower your life when these types of things happen. And Debbie has such a huge, uh, heart and, uh, is doing such incredible work. So I'm just thrilled and honored to have you here. Uh, so Debbie, I'm just going to dive right in. You have, so you're, when I, when I, um, when I looked over your bio, you have definitely been a jack of all trades from your, you have done so much in your life. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about a little bit about more about who you are and, um, and then we'll start going into, uh, what happened to you and then how that empowered you to take your next journey. Sure. Sure. I like to say that I'm just like you and me. I mean, I'm just like everybody else. I, I've had an extraordinary career in multiple things, but my, my greatest joy, I think, came from the years that I raised my kids. I, I actually started out in the Air Force after I got out of college. Uh, I worked for a law firm for a couple of years, but went into the Air Force as an Air Force intelligence officer and did that for eight years. Met my, my first husband, uh, my late husband, 
I met him there and we were in Washington DC and then lived over in Germany for a few, few years. And I spent time in DC at the Pentagon and with uh, defense intelligence agencies. So I had some extraordinary experiences early on in my career uh, as far as learning what to do and what not to do and how to keep secrets, which I was really good at. And then I stayed home with my kids. I have four children, three boys and a girl. And now I have four grandchildren, which is really lots of fun. The kids and I had an, had a great time. I did a lot of things with them. And uh, I, I, like I said, that was a very special time for me. I went back to work uh, in the bank after my husband, who was a uh, got out of the Air Force and then went to work as a contractor for the Air Force overseas. I needed to have something to do while he was gone. And then when he came back, he got out of the service and I continued working because I needed benefits. He started his own company, but benefits, especially health benefits, were extraordinarily expensive. So I worked as a school treasurer for a few years. And then I, well, when I was doing that, that's when I got the phone call from my oldest son on April 8th, 2010. And he said, mom, dad just died. I'm coming home to take care of everything. Well, you can imagine my husband had had diabetes. He had not been sick. He was under control. He had left the day before to go. He had a race car. He had taken it to the other side of Florida to get it tuned up. He was going to be at a big race. And he left on a Wednesday and said, I'll see you tomorrow. And tomorrow came, I was in a meeting and I got that phone call from my son and I never saw Lou again. He walked out the door mm-hmm. and I never saw him again. Uh, so that, that changed my life in a profound way, in a way that I totally wasn't prepared for, even though I was very much, you know, make sure that everything is in order. Um, And the greatest distress to that was when my parents came over, they actually were on the West coast of Florida where Lou had passed away and they, they took care of all the arrangements over there. But when they came over there, like, you've got to look into the insurance and look into all these things, you know, so we can plan a funeral and plan all the end of life things. Well, it turned out that two months before Lou died, um, he we had life insurance we'd paid for for 30 years and, and oh he, my gosh. he aged out, right? He aged, Oh my gosh. you know where this is going? Yes. His premiums went from a hundred a month to 500 a month. And he says, I will not pay that. And I'm like, mm. honey, we have four kids. So I hit it for a couple of months. And then he saw the bank account and he just had a bird. He said, you've got I don't want this. Just stop it. We have investments, yada, yada, yada. So me not wanting contention said, okay. So fast forward two months, he passes away. We have no life insurance. None. Oh my gosh. And so at that point I was thrown into running his company and knew nothing about that because I had my own jobs. So I had, but they, his job, his company paid the bills and I had to figure out very quickly how to run that. And, and I did my Intel background, my banking background, my paralegal background, all those things came into play at that particular point because I knew how to ask for help, even though I was very self-sufficient and I I was very quiet about needing help. But I went to the suppliers, I went to the largest customers and I'm like, you guys have got to help me. And they did. Uh, and, And that's something you always need to plan for, but you don't. And I I recall sitting with Lou one day, he was on the phone with a big client and and, um, he's the client said to him, what happens if you die? Who runs the business? And Mm. he's looking at me and he said, well, devil run the company. I was like, well, shoot, you better tell me something about it. 
And I said, write a man. He was a he was an operations guy, a manual writer for the Air Force. Oh my gosh. He left me a four-page continuity plan, which said, This is my major clients, this is who my suppliers are, and good luck, basically. So that that threw me into okay, what do I do to keep the company going, to keep the clients happy, to keep the bills, keep a roof over my head. And six months into it, my I was doing pretty well. <laughs> My friends came to me and said, you need a life. All you do is work. And I, I was literally, I'd go to work at the school in the morning, come home after about an hour of swimming where, where I got my control uh, and I could cry and no one in the pool knew what was going on. I get home and I would work until two o'clock in the morning and start that mm. all over again the next day at six. So fast forward into get your life, get a life. I was like, I don't, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't party. I don't really do those things. And I said, well, how, how in the world am I going to get a life? Cause they meant start dating again. Right. Yes. And so the only thing that I felt was going to be safe at that point, because I wasn't ready to do any dating in person. I'd been married right. almost 26 years and I wasn't ready for that, but I was ready to have a conversation with people and, and to start sure. a friendship. And so that led to online dating which I thought would be safe because I could do it from the safety of my home. I, what I call it kind of cyber stalking. I'd be, I could look, but if I didn't like anything, I didn't have to jump in. And right. I went to um, initially a faith-based website, okay. which I'd heard about from friends. Mm -hmm. Everybody had had positive things to say about online dating. Even my mother, you know, she had a friend really? in her late eighties. And I thought my yeah. mom would be the biggest skeptic. But she said one of her good friends had met a man online and then set up at a, a luncheon or something with her daughter nearby. So she was being safe. Uh, but right. she ended up marrying the man. So my mom was just gung-ho. So are my sister-in-laws. The only the ones who weren't were my brothers. You know, here we are. Yes. 50-something years old. They're like, ah, do a background check. Do this, do that. I'm like, guys, that's yep. just dating. And so I kind of brushed them off. Um, and then, I, so I put my profile out there. And I did it by myself. Looking back, I would say, have a dating buddy, have someone help you out because I was very transparent. I put pictures of me, of the kids, of all these. This is my baggage, basically. You know, right, right. coming with all this. And I wanted somebody honest to be, to connect with. And so I did that. And that's where the story starts. <laughs> it doesn't end there because this is what I found is after uh, in... After meeting a couple of people, not in person, but online, uh, I was looking at these men between 50 and 65 and they couldn't write. Oh, any, yes. Any better than a fifth grader. That's, yeah, that's that. a, a little bit of a, a complaint that I've, that I've heard from women. So men that are listening, listen up, you need to spruce up those online profiles. <laughs> and the, the pictures, you know, I, they were wearing what I yes. call the life beater t-shirts. Right. I was like, oh my gosh. You know, I, I was married to a very brilliant guy and bold and you know, former Air Force officer. So I right. was looking for uh, someone that could write, someone that could speak, someone that was just not perfect, but right. someone that could challenge me intellectually and everything else. So I laughed at that because there are so many guys who just did delete, delete, delete. Right. I guess today it would be swipe. Swipe right or swipe left. It would be but, swiping yeah, left. I wasn't yeah. swiping back then because this was right. Yeah. Yeah. What year was it, Debbie? I'm sorry. 2010. 2010. Okay. So I was on this faith-based site and was contacted by a very good looking man. 
He was an international businessman, a widower. Uh, so when I, when I did meet this fella and we were on the dating site, but very quickly, he was a contractor from London, which was darling. Actually, I'm thinking this is really fun. It's international. I've got friends. Yes. It's very charming. Cool. And Mm -hmm. so he was in Houston, had just gotten a, a contract to move trees from hardwood trees from, um, Malaysia over to India. I had investments in hardwood trees. He didn't know that. I didn't Mm. share that part. So I had, I looked at his background. I looked at the company he worked for. Uh, I had a website. I even called them to say, do you have a contractor named Dr. Eric Cole? And that's when I actually got a, no, we don't have anybody by that name, but I'm rationalizing now. He's an independent, he's independent guy. So maybe he doesn't actually work for the company but he works with the company. And that right. was a story. Cause when I, when I told him what I'd done thing, you know, I am using my Intel hat here. And uh, he said, well, I'm an independent guy. And so he, uh, he left Houston and then went over to the far East. At that point, he said, I want to get off the dating site and onto mm-hmm. Yahoo chat. And I didn't think anything of it. I knew Yahoo chat at the time for me, was very techie, you know, it was instant right. messaging. Right. And I thought it was pretty neat because any night time of the night or day, I could hear that ding, ding, ding. And it was like Pavlov's dogs. I jump out of bed and I'd run to my computer and I would get on and we would type for hours. It wouldn't matter if it was two o'clock in the morning, I'd type for hours. And then I would go off to work because I had that high, all those endorphins and you know the hormones were flashing. And it was just, it was fun. It was a really fun way to get to know somebody because I, I realized about myself that I was much more willing to open up through writing than through speaking. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was almost therapy for me. I was just going to say that it was probably just a way for you to, I mean, you're still probably at that point in time, you were still grieving and ex- being able to have someone to listen to you because, and there was some comp, I mean, the, you had common interest, you were, you both lost a spouse, right? right? So you, there was some, you were able, he was safe for you to express these thoughts and feelings because in your mind, in your heart, he knew exactly what you exactly. were talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And as he brought in other characters where he, you know, his sister and his son, uh, there was one night when I had three open chats going, I type really quickly. So I'd be going back and forth between his sister and him. And then I got introduced to his attorney and I would be using my conversations with each one of them to find out more about the others. Does that make sense? I'd be yes. asking, asking Mary about Eric. How was he when he was young? What was his wife like? And all these kinds of things. And then the vice right. versa about him and her. And then when I was talking to his son, I could feel that I was talking to an eight or nine-year-old, 10-year-old. I don't remember how old he was. It was a long time ago. Um, but I could feel the change in characters, which mm. was fun because I'm very family-oriented and I love my family. I love my kids. So in my mind, I had to think, of, okay, you know, if this goes where I want it to go, will I want to be a mother to a young child again? Right. And over time, and I remember the first time he came online, his name was Kenny. And he said, can I call you mom? Oh my gosh. Part of me was like, are you sure? Well, his mom had in the story had died when he was young. So he was looking for a mother. And I said, well, that's very special. And when the time is right, you know, of course that just tugged at my heartstrings. So there's just pulled me in on another level. 
so that relationship actually flourished. It, it went very quickly from just instant messaging to talk. Well, I've talked to him a couple of times and he had a British accent, but again, couldn't Skype because he was overseas and I didn't know any different. I'd lived in Europe, but I had never been in the Far East. So I couldn't say that, you know, the connections weren't, weren't perfect there. Uh, but there's always been a reason why he couldn't Skype or, or that the telephone connections were bad. And, and I trusted it because I didn't have any reason not to. So, right. so how many times did you, so when you did talk to him, I mean, so when you're this time frame, like, what would you say, like, how long was that from when you were talking on the dating site to moving to Yahoo chat, which I think just for our listeners, for frame of reference, like that, that was very common. That wasn't uncommon at that time. It didn't, people didn't give out their, cause we didn't back then, even cell phones, you couldn't block people very easily. So it was very, that was a very safe transition for you to do, to go from, uh, online dating to, um, to Yahoo chat. And then you had spoken to him on the phone a couple of times. What, what's the time frame Like, and, and how many months did the, all of that? Cause you said it moved very quickly. How quickly was well, it? At the beginning, uh, we went from the dating site onto Yahoo chat, I would say within a week or two, because he was leaving, okay. leaving Houston to go overseas. And he just said, you know, it's easier for me to get on, on Yahoo chat than to email you and wait for the response right. and those kinds of things. Because again, there was no texting back then. So right. Exactly. It was, this was, it was all by email, I think, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Just email it back was. and forth. Yeah, it was. And, but the Yahoo chat was instant. It was like we right. were texting, but on the computer. So it was extraordinary. It was fun. And I, it was just very fast paced conversations and we'd be going back and forth. And it was interesting as I kept a journal of all those online, all those online chats. I had an online journal and I copied and pasted everything into my journal. You did. I have 4,000 pages of journal, which is five printed volumes. I thought I was oh chronicling gosh. our, our love affair for family history. That was my thought. Oh my gosh. Like 4,000 pages of evidence. <laughs> wow. But it was interesting. So I could go back and look at what we, what we had written about certain things, which I wanted to do, especially if we had some discussions about business or whatever we were working on. I wanted to revisit exactly what he said. And again, I was looking at the language because the very first email that I got from him, there was one thing that stuck in my mind at the very end that was strange. And he said, mm -hmm. you can call me Eric Cole. And I'm thinking, oh. that's kind of an odd way to say my name is. Yes. And when I called him on it, again, he's from London. So I right. thought, uh, he goes, well, that's just Frank Alingua. And that's just the way I was like, I, it's okay. I was just asking, cause it sounded funny. It wasn't an American. So I, but I didn't, I, I knew he wasn't American. It was just a funny way to say my name is. And it was on the very first long email. Um, so that was the first little pink sign. But again, I wanted things to be working. I, I, I trusted that this was a transparent thing and that and he was an international business guy and it was going to be fun. And with the British accent, it just cemented the fact for me that, yes, he is an international business guy and he's doing this contract. Now, when... When it moved forward, the next move, uh, which was an interesting way to see if I would help him out, he said, hey, I've got a friend who's an engineer and he's having difficulty getting on to the dating site. 
he was overseas too. And I don't know where he was, so I can't remember. But the story was, could you send a check to the dating site to get him on? And I'm like, oh, sure. You know, we need more good guys online. I thought I was helping out a good looking young man. And uh, so I sent a check to the dating site, physical check. To oh, the wow. For $45, $50. I don't remember what it was, but I just thought, mm-hmm. oh, this is fun. I'm helping out his friend. Well, that was the very first ask to help. Mm-hmm. Small, but most times it is small. Mm-hmm. And the next- Just to test, do you think, is it in your expert in your expertise, just with the work that you're doing now, is that like their test to see? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. It's like any scammer right now. If, you're, if your bank account gets hacked, it might get hacked for 30 cents. 50 cents. They want to right. see paying attention. Mm. If you don't pay attention, then they can get away with the bigger ones because the right. banks will write off a loss of up to $2,000, something like that. It used to be $2,000. So uh, if a scammer gets that, then the bank will give it back to you with no questions asked, which obviously the scammers know. But yes, that was the ask to see, okay, is she willing to do that? Then maybe she's willing to do the next ask. And at that point, you're so sucked in emotionally because right. you've been talking to this guy two, three, four weeks mm-hmm. and, and his family and his sister and the, yes. the whole family the whole, right. drawing you in right. and it's exciting. It's fun. It's, the, it's just that rush. And we call it now the amygdala hijack. It's your, your heart is ruling your head and you want it to be real. Right. And so I did. And I fell hook, line, and sinker on this one because even though I'd had the training to look into the pictures that he sent me, Google Earth, the addresses he was giving me, I did my due diligence up to a point. Right. And when I found a little indiscrepancy, I would I would ask him. And he always had a plausible answer. Always. You you had said. Yes. That's not surprising. You had said, so you and I've talked about pink flags and you're the first person I've ever heard that said paint that said that there are pink flags. Do you want to explain a little bit more about what that is? Sure. Well, we all hear about yellow flags or red flags. Everybody's like red flags, you know, dead stuff. Well, in this realm where you're so taken by the emotions of what's going on, things that to an outsider would appear to be, have been a dead, oh, stop, no, you know, red flag. To me, because I put my rose-colored glasses on, they became pink flags because they didn't stop me. They might have made me take a pause. Right. But with a response from him justifying why it was not a dead red, um, I let it go. And that's why I call it a pink flag because a yellow Mm -hmm. flag cautioned me might have stepped back. But the pink flag was, okay, I, I noticed that it was not what I expected, but I'm willing to go forward. Right. That's why I call it the pink flags. And the, and the first one would be if they ask you for money, it's now turning right. to red for me. But at that point, so many of us are so willing to help people out, especially mm-hmm. folks that we feel like they've become friends or maybe part of the family or friends. And that's right. what has happened in this, in this story is that he is becoming very quickly a part of my life, right? Part of my, my future life as I want to see it. Uh, there were times when my, when my older boys would say, mom, don't, don't, don't. Right. And as soon as they did that, I was like, out, 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 because I was the adult 
and this was making me happy. And don't tell me that I can't do it. It's like telling a two-year-old that they can't do something they want to do. Yes. Yes. So I isolated myself or became more isolated uh, and just spent my time with him because I was working so much. You know, I was working right. 16 hours a day. So when I was talking with him, when I say talking, chatting, messaging, that was my emotional relief. Yes. Relief time where I could get out all my frustrations of, you know, Lou wasn't very good about leaving passwords. He didn't have a password book. So when I was frustrated that I couldn't get into a site that I needed to, or some business thing that I needed to do, I needed to talk to somebody. And I found that my friends who had been mostly couples, uh, the wives didn't want their husbands here because now I was suddenly single. And I'm thinking, Gosh, you guys, I've known your husbands for 30 years. I've heard you tell me all the bad stuff. Why in the world would I want to go after your husband now? <laughs> Give me a break. Um, so uh. I want to do it. And then my girlfriends, I was so busy. I really wasn't making time for my girlfriends. I was making right. time for my online love. Mm. And so he became my lifeline. And I honestly, with 4,000 pages, I told him everything about me. And elicited information back from him. And that's when we got our stories. We, you know, we found out about his life. And again, because we'd had similar experiences with the sudden right. death of a spouse, that's very right. bonding in my view. 100%. And, yeah, and it was really interesting. So the next big ask came when he was having a business issue. And we, I felt like we were almost becoming business associates because he was going to get home. He was going to finish the job. And, and I know that when you have a job or a um, contract, you may not get paid on that contract until it's finished. Mm -hmm. So he was trying to finish this up. And the sooner he got it done, then the sooner he could come back to the States and he'd bring the family over for Christmas. We were getting into the holidays and it was really fun because he was going to be here for Christmas and we were going to fly his son and his, and his sister over. And so all these plans were taking place. Okay. The ask came to when, when he was realizing that he needed to get the money that he was getting set up here in the States. Cause when he was coming here, he was going to set up a you know, home and his family and all this stuff. And so he asked me to help him out. First, I, I set up a bank account. Now the bank account was in my name, but I had him as a, as the beneficiary. So okay. he couldn't do anything with that account, but I just set it up in case that he had sent some money and I was going to leave it there for him. Don't ever do that, but I, I did. No money ever exchanged hands coming this way. The next ask was, I need a power of attorney so that some of the things that I'm setting up on my end, I can put into your name and my attorney, his name was Peter. I got to know Peter. Uh, oh, Peter, okay. So this is where the attorney comes into play. Yeah, got so it. The power of attorney and he'll set it up, but can you send him money? And that was the first initial stomach grip. Uh, I, I, I always call myself, I did that, the damn Yankee that didn't give money away because I felt like I first off, they were asking me to send $2,500 or $2,000. It was that, a couple thousand via Western Union. And mm -hmm. that in itself, as a former banker, I'm thinking that's a little bit scuzzy. I, I, I'd never done it and I didn't want to do it. And he said, this is the only way I can do it because I, I can get the money really quickly and it's easy to do. I had to go to the local grocery store and I was giving the information out and it wasn't, I wasn't addressing it to him. 
another question. I said, why am I sending this money to this longing? He goes, well, he's one of my friends and he's here and he actually lives here in the city and he can get the account up much faster than I can. I, again, all these justifications for why I was doing what I was doing and who I was sending it to. So I did, but that was our first little tiff because <laughs> mm. I just, I didn't understand it. And he goes, just believe me, this is what we're doing. And I said, okay, again, not a large amount of money, but enough that right. now I'm invested. Right. And now the asks start to come a little bit faster uh, and bigger because we're in this together. We're trying to get him out of there so he can come home. And it's a right. business deal. So I never sent money to Nigeria. I never sent it to Ghana. I never had those red flags of, you know, this is definitely a scammer. It was, Deb, I need your help. Help me with the company. We talked about business plans. We talked about setting up businesses together. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, so help him out so he can come home. And it was more of a loan. It was like, if you can do this for me, then I'm going to pay you back and I'll, you know, I'll add interest to it. It was always pay you back, pay you back with interest. So never just giving it. Um, mm -hmm. But it went on from there. And it, it, at one point you get to the, the point where you say, I've given him so much that if I were to back out now, if I'm having this feeling of, you know, oh my gosh, what have I done? You're so far into it. You're thinking, well, if I leave now, I've lost this much. Right. One more time, just one more. And that's what it was. It was, we call it chasing the money. It was chasing the money, not in a greedy way. It's like, right. I got to do this so I can get it back. I'm just wanting, mm. I just want back what I, what I gave him. I don't want anything else. I just want back what I gave him. And so I, I hung in there and, and obviously I, we went, had the ups, the emotional ups and downs and all the drama that you can imagine with families between Peter's family and Mary's family and, and Eric's family and my family, you know, we had the, the accidents and the illnesses and all those emergencies that happen. But again, you're so worried because it, this is your family and right. you become my family. It's the only way I can put it. There's no there's uh, looking back or someone looking in, there's no logical reason, but it was when you're in it and you're going to be in it. If you don't stop within two weeks of meeting somebody, you're in it. They're so well skilled at the manipulation of the scam to pull you in. You will not get yourself out until you're broken, broken. Mm. And that's, I don't want anybody to be at that point but it's very difficult because the scammers know that if they can get you to a certain point, you're in, you're in it to the finish because you want to, you want to believe, you want to believe them until you well, get it. You want to believe anybody, but I mean, right. this isn't just online scamming anymore. This is happening in person. Right. And I always said uh, after the fact that if you haven't seen the whites of his eyes in, in within two weeks, it's a scam until I met someone that had been engaged to a guy for a year and turned out he was a, a you know, con artist. So it's very difficult. And, and I invested a lot of money. Um, I, I sent him over a million dollars and I know the audience just goes, <gasps> here's the thing. I didn't have a million dollars in my bank account. I found it because I truly believed that he was going to be my family. Right. And I would do anything. I sold jewelry. I sold investments. I, my retirement accounts, 
You know, it was always, okay, I can do this for a certain number of, of months and then I need to put the money back so that I don't get any penalties. It was always, I'll give it, but I need this back and I need it back quickly. And so the tough thing was, is that his asks were always so urgent. And this is a big tell is that if they ask you for something, it's like, do it now, do it now. You know, with the scammers call and they're talking to the grandmother scam, grandfather scam, they'll say, go to the bank right now or go so-and-so right now and get uh, gift cards or get whatever. There's this urgency and you get caught up in that urgency. You get, I remember sitting at the bank one time and the wire wasn't going through. And I was so frustrated because I was getting emails from him saying, well, try this number, try this number. And I'm like, why? He goes, I need to get this today. So because of something's going to happen. And so mm-hmm. I, I did it. I just did it. And I didn't get any blowback or pushback from the bankers, which former banker here, if they had done a real good look at my banking history, they would have seen over 50 years. I'd never done a wire ever. Right. And then all of a sudden, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 is like, you would have thought that someone in the fraud department might've said, well, stop. Right. Even though I knew my way around the bank system, if, if they had come security and come to me, I might've said, whoa, okay, I better stop. Maybe, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, I'm just looking at it from the other side now where I think there needs to be a lot more training of bank officials and Western Union, for instance, was sued. There was a class action suit against them and they are very much uh, on alert for scams and will stop transactions now, which years ago, they they wouldn't have done. Now they'll say, I think this is a scam or I think Walmart even or some of the big stores are limited to number of gift cards that, that someone can purchase because those are definitely uh, tools that scammers will use. Um, Yes. That's happened to me before I had my card stolen and then they didn't like go on a spending spree. They went to Walmart and bought themselves two $500 gift cards. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It happens. It happens Mm -hmm. every day. And until uh, the consumer is made aware that these are happening and the, or the uh, commerce, you know, e-commerce or wherever, uh, when they see these things, they need to recognize them because the scammers are laughing their way to the bank. They're getting, Oh, absolutely. And, and it's a shame. So, but the, the hardest part about my, well, here's the interesting thing about mine, which is a lot different than most people is at the end. And we're talking almost two years here. I was just going to uh, ask, and you were engaged. To, so he had proposed to you as well. Well, we had talked about getting married and, oh, okay. and all, here's the fun thing is all throughout this. I didn't know this until after the fact, uh, and I didn't really watch for it, but they don't call you by your name. It'll be honey, sweetheart, my love. So think about why are they doing that? And it's because they might be running 10, 20, 30, 50 women. And they don't want to call me cat. Cause I'll be like, that's not my name. Right. (laughs) An instant. Whoa, stop. Uh, So I I didn't recognize that until later on when someone said that to me, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you're right. So he came online one morning on September 10th, 2012 a date to always be remembered. Mm-hmm. And we started talking. He asked me how I felt about forgiveness. We were, we were typing this, right? So for hours, I put on my spiritual hat and we started talking about forgiveness and we got disconnected, which was not unusual. Comes back later on, said, hey, can we revisit what we were talking about this morning? I'm thinking, well, sure, but, but why? And he said, I, I need to know that you can forgive me because I have something that I've got to tell you and it's going to hurt you. 
And at that point, I'm thinking, well, you don't have to hurt me. You don't tell me anything that's going to hurt me. He goes, Deb, I have a confession to make. And I just, I stopped dead right there because I had heard that once in my 26 years of marriage and it was not a good thing. Confessions right. aren't really usually very good. Right. So I, I, I let him continue. And he said, I have to confess to you that this has all been a scam. And I'm looking at that writing saying, what are you talking about? Are you, are you sick? Is something wrong? What's happening here? And I'm like, I don't believe this. I said, I, I don't believe that this is a scam. You have to prove it to me. So he said, I'm going to come on Yahoo chat. There's a camera function. I've been asking for that for two years, right? So he walks me through how to set up the, the camera chat on Yahoo chat. And if you visualize, I've got in my office here, I've got dual screens. I'm looking at my handsome Brit on my screens. And in the corner of one of the monitors comes this little square camera. And I'm looking at this dark haired, dark eyed, dark skinned young man with a big smile on his face. And it was like, I hit a wall. It was like a brick wall. I slammed into this brick wall and I'm looking at that picture saying to myself, oh my gosh, what have I done? In an instant, my story, <sighs> my love story got ripped out from underneath my heart, but right. it, it just separated from my head. Okay. So my Intel hat kicked in, my banking hat kicked in, my paralegal hat kicked in. I picked up my phone so that he couldn't see it. And I took his picture. And I do have that one picture in my, in my, in the book that I wrote. It's the only picture that I have of the real guy. And the real guy's name was Joseph. It wasn't Dr. Eric Cole. And Joseph was really from Nigeria, not from London. Mm. And at that point, I'm thinking, okay, I've watched a lot of shows with the FBI. How can I catch him? What right. can I okay. do keep him engaged to catch him? Because all he wanted me to, to say was that I would forgive him and he would understand if I would turn him in, but he was hoping that I wouldn't because part of this story was that his parents were deceased and he was taking care of siblings. Now, that's very possible. That does happen in Nigeria. Sure. And I wasn't out to... I didn't really have a, a vengeful bone in me. I was just really hurt. And I yeah. wanted my money back because this, the other part of the story is towards the end, uh, I needed $100,000. I just didn't have it. I couldn't come up with it. And that's when he said, well, can you ask somebody? Can you ask friends? Can you ask your business associates? Can you ask your parents? I asked my parents. Um. My mom and dad are in their 80s. And I said, guys, this is a loan. We will give it back to you as soon as he gets here. And my dad and mom gave me a hundred thousand oh dollars. So goodness. when that scam fell apart, when he confessed, all I could think about is, oh my gosh, how can I get my parents' money back? Right. I didn't care about me. I was going to be, I would be okay, but I needed, I needed to get their money back. And so I kept him engaged for a little bit after this, after that conversation, because I called my parents immediately and I told them what happened. And just like when Lou had died, they were there. They came right over mm. the next day. We went to the FBI together. I called up the FBI oh here gosh. in West Palm. I have my 4,000 pages of journal printed, my three ring binder, probably four inches thick of every single financial transaction that I did unbelievable documentation those two years. Oh my gosh. And the first thing they said is we're really sorry it happened. But unless he's here in the United States, there's nothing we can do. And by the way, 
you're in Palm Beach County, more men in Palm Beach County get taken for over a million than women, but they will never tell. Yeah. You and I were talking about that, about how it's in the work that you're doing now, which is a good segue into talk into, and when you, this really inspired you to create this new journey for yourself and the new work that you're doing. You and I touched on that about how women are more, women are more open when it comes to this type of, when they're, when they're a victim of this kind of scam versus men. And why, why do you think that is Debbie? Well, I think, especially with financial fraud, the men are, especially over a million dollars, the men are, right. business, they're businessmen. They're well-established. They don't want to be seen by their peers as weak or stupid or any of those other things. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're so ashamed that they were, we call it the white knight. You know, they were kind of scooping in because with the men, they're being taken typically by a young, a pictures of a younger woman who might've had mm -hmm. something happen and they've swept in and they want to make things work. They want it all better. Well, now they've been, they've been taken by that young woman who they think was a young woman, but it could have been a young man behind the pictures of that young woman. So that element of being deceived by another man, you know, it's just, it's mortifying to them. Men are not good victims. They don't react well as, as in, in, in our support groups uh, because they just, they don't want to accept that it happened and they will go out for revenge. They, they want to get back. And you know, it, if you're in that get back mode, then you're angry. And right. I don't know that you'll ever be truly successful if you're angry about what you're trying to, to go for. Go for. Um, I didn't like being called a victim because the FBI said, Deb, you've been a victim. Uh, I don't like that word. I said, I am not gonna be a victim, but I was, when I left their office, I just shut down. I was not gonna tell another soul what had happened because I, you know, I had such good training. I should not have been taken. It's that whole shoulda, coulda, woulda. I right. should not have. So it showed to me that if it happened to me, it could happen to anybody. Right. And that's the point. It does happen to everybody. And when I first started talking about it, it took me a couple of years to get over it and to acknowledge what had happened. But when I realized that so many people were being taken and not ever talking, that we were doing a disservice to the rest of the people around us because if something happens to you, let's, for instance, you know, I had a mis I had miscarriages. I never heard about anybody having a miscarriage until I had one. And I didn't know how to deal with it until after the fact. And then everybody's like, well, I had one, I have one. And then they start talking. Well, if I had been prepared, then when it happened, I might've gotten through it a little bit better. Right. Same with this. If I had heard of people that had been scammed, I would have mm -hmm. been a little more diligent in what was going on. I look, right. would have looked for the red flags and not made them pink. You know, mm -hmm. I would have known that, you know, someone in a military uniform that's coming in and asking for money is a, it's a red flag, a, you know, English businessman or someone that's on an oil rig or all of these stories that I know now are scammer stories. There are people all over the world being taken by these stories. My story, international businessman, name is Dr. Eric Cole. Cole was a very prominent name and scammer names. You know, I didn't know that. Um, they have the same things. They have their widowers. They've got kids. They've, the wife was in a terrible accident or she died of cancer. I mean, the stories are so similar. And if I had heard those stories, it might 
maybe not. It might have slowed me down, stopped me, made me a lot more aware of what's going on. And so that was my mission when I when I first started talking. And, and I wouldn't have started to talk except I was at a business meeting with one of my women's groups here in South Florida. And I'd gone to speak about my company because it was it was Lou's company. And I had to figure out how I was going to take it on as mine because he might have started it, but he was only in it for eight years. I've had it for almost 13 now. So mm. I had to I had to own the company for myself and not just say, well, it's Lou's company. I took it over. So when I went down there and one of my girlfriends at lunch said something about online dating, she goes, you rolled your eyes at me. And that elicited from her, tell us the story. And I told three or four gals at lunch that day. And I, and they said, Deb, you need to tell your story. I'm like, no, I am not going to speak it up. And they said, the one gal said, my mom was taken for 80,000 and never told anybody. And mm -hmm. then the stories came in, you know, a gal had been in a Ponzi scheme, not once, but twice. Then another friend had been uh, living with a man and they were going to get engaged. And it turns out he had a family somewhere else. So I started hearing all these stories about fraud against women and, and no one was talking because they were so embarrassed about what had happened. You know, these were intelligent entrepreneurs that just, they didn't want anybody to know that they weren't perfect. And I'm right. like, you guys, we're not helping each other out here. We're not protecting the sister sitting beside us. You know, we were so afraid of the person. And I call this one lady that when I started speaking, this one woman gave me what I call the stink eye. Is that, oh gosh, you are really stupid on that, Deb. And victim I'm looking at her thinking, yeah. the shaming, the victim shaming, the blaming. And I'm thinking, okay, you can stop right now and never speak up again. Or you can look at that lady beside her whose head is just bobbing up and down. That's and right. she's getting you. I think that's who you need to talk to because that's the one that it, it has either happened to her or someone in her family and she's feeling alone and doesn't ever want anybody to know about it. But once they know that they're not alone, then they're willing to open up and then they share. And I can't do this by myself, but I can do it with the million victims around the world if they're willing to speak up. And that was the whole thing. I went from, I actually crafted the woman behind the smile. That was the name of the book because I said, we need to be the woman with the smile, not the ones hiding behind the smile. And it's true about everything we do. We all hide behind our smiles because we've been trained to be as perfect to the world as we can be. Right. Look, look at social media. Everybody's right. looking at their worst day against someone else's best day. And we're judging ourselves for the things we're not doing, for the things that we did do that weren't good. And we're just short sight in our lives and it's not worth it. And see, this isn't just online dating. This is words with friends. It's right sites it's facebook it is every social media possible and it's mm -hmm. our children you know our girls our young girls are looking for love so be careful because they have access to your credit card yeah. don't dismiss any age group you know right so they can they can write to me if this has happened or if a family member i've had husbands write to me and say i don't know what to do my wife is involved that's a tough mm -hmm. thing um mm -hmm. go to our website either the woman behind the smile which is mine or the SCARS site, romancescamsnow.com. If you've been a victim, we have a link to reporting it with ic3.gov, with the FBI, which is ic3.gov actually, with uh, the FTC, because a lot of these things are going to the FTC right now. Everything you'd wanna know is on that romancescamsnow.com or against scams.org. 
So it's SCARS is a fabulous organization. Don't get caught up in the vigilante, go after the scammers. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of your energy. Find something that's positive because you have to work on yourself. You don't need to go after the scammers. There's a lot to learn and it's one step at a time. But if you've been a victim, and that's what I'm primarily concerned about is don't believe you're a victim anymore. Get your power back, become a survivor, a thriver, an advocate. And you can only do that through a really good support group. And I would send you to either the woman behind the smile or the scars at romancescamsnow.com. Oh, that's perfect. And I think what you said is to take the owner, like to take the power back, to not allow this to become your identity. Because I think, especially people who have been through any kind of romance scam, it probably does completely change their, their, their view on love and their view on romance. And, uh, the only way that you're going to be able to find that again, is if you take the power back and be able to become the survivor and not the victim. Right. Yeah. And learn from, learn from what you did. Right. It's a learning process and we get better with time. I I learn new things every single day. Yeah. As I say you can't teach an old Deb new tricks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always learning new things every day. I love it. It, it keeps the brain good. It does. It does. Well, Debbie, what an incredible interview. Thank you so much for sharing and your, your being vulnerable and sharing your story with, uh, with my audience. And, uh, I am sure that there is someone out there that you have inspired and hopefully listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you are, if you truly do need assistance and need support and encouragement, and if you've been a victim of fraud, please contact Debbie. All right. Thank you so much, Debbie. Take care. Take care. All right, my friends, what'd you think? I will make sure and put all of Debbie's uh, links down below in uh, in the show notes. And I do want to make sure and let you know that if you have been a victim of relationship fraud, Debbie, her and I had a conversation after I hit stop record. And I know that there's some of you that are out there and I just don't, I just want you to know that there's a safe place to go. So if you want to, you can always contact me and I will get you in contact with her or you can contact her directly through her email. And again, I'll make sure and put all of this in the show notes, a huge, gigantic hug of appreciation to Debbie. I can't, I'm just so thrilled and honored that you decided to be a part of the show. And I know that, um, your work is so, so needed, especially in this crazy world of dating. All right, my friend, thank you so much for tuning in. And as a reminder, this show is brought to you by theheartagency.com where we offer matchmaking, dating coaching, singles events, seminars, and more. In fact, there's one coming up. Uh, stay tuned for that. So please make sure if you want additional information or if you have a question for Dear Matchmaker, please make sure and go to theheartagency.com and you can go up to the contact us button. And if you are on Apple or Spotify. I would love it if you would rate review this episode so that more people can uh, find it and snag it and start listening to it. And please make sure to subscribe. And if you are on Instagram or Facebook, please come and follow me at Kat Cantrell. All right, my friend. If you need anything, you know that we're here for you. 
And hopefully this left you feeling empowered, having more tools in your toolkit as you're going through and navigating through online dating. And just remember, no matter what, true love is waiting for you. And I will see you next time. Bye.